started a series last week called Winning Faith. And it is from the book of James. We're pretty much walking through the book of faith, uh, the book of James one verse at a time and verse by verse. And we're going to see how we can upgrade our relationship with Jesus so that it becomes a part of our life where we feel successful, where we feel like we're winning in our faith. And last weekend, we looked at how to deal with difficulties. And today, we're going to skip a few verses at the end of James chapter one. We'll get back to them later. But today, we'll move to James 2, and we're going to look at how to overcome prejudice. So as we begin, let's pray together, shall we? Heavenly Father, in this place right now, we just pause to ask you to speak to us. Father, we want to hear from you. We want, Father, to grasp hold of everything that you have for us. We want to uh, have a faith that is... uh, thriving, a faith that's winning. And so, Father, would you help us to push aside anything that might distract us, anything that might cause us to be defensive so that we can just hear from you today. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. An obviously irate judge was glaring down from the bench at a prospective juror, and he said, and just why is it that you don't want to uh, serve jury duty. And the man replied, well, judge, I am biased. I mean, I just took one look at that man over there and I am convinced that he is guilty. And the judge frowned and replied, that man is not the defendant, that is his lawyer. Now, there are certain professions that are easy to make fun of, aren't there? Being a pastor is one of them, so I understand this. But, but, you know, I wonder how honest, hardworking lawyers, and there are many of them, feel about all the lawyer jokes that fly around. It's so easy to stereotype. Used car salesmen are out to rip you off. Computer techs are all geeks. Older people are grumpy and unwilling to change. Millennials are lazy, entitled narcissists who still live with their parents. By the way, that one's directly off the cover of Time Magazine a while back. Men don't listen. Women are always emotional. Teens are addicted to social media and selfies. Blondes are unintelligent. Politicians are dishonest crooks. Bald guys are always sex symbols. (laughs) You've heard that one, haven't you? Well, people from California are liberal and probably crazy. Super skinny people have an eating disorder. Obese people are usually jolly and desperate for love. People from New York are rude. Churches only care about your money. All Muslims are terrorists. Diet Coke drinkers are smarter and sexier. Now, I just rattled off nearly 20 common stereotypes, and none of them are true in all cases. Well, except maybe that Diet Coke one. But... It's what we do. We label. We categorize. We uh, discriminate. We make assumptions. And all are based on someone's appearance or their religion or their age or their profession or their race or their ethnic background and many other factors. And it's such a natural thing that sometimes we don't even give it a second thought. But what would God think of such behavior? What would he think? Well, in the Bible, he's constantly telling us to 
pay attention to those who are marginalized, to the outcast, to those pushed aside and taken advantage of. He says that we should care for those that society considers the least. And the Bible condemns us if we show partiality or favoritism to people or to groups. In fact, figuring out how to deal with this area is part of what James tells us we need to do if we're going to have a winning faith. Look at how James 2 begins, just the first verse. My brothers and sisters, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism or partiality. Now, you might be thinking... I'm not sure favoritism and partiality is the same thing as prejudice. Well, let's look at the definition. Here's the definition of favoritism. It's the favoring of one person or group over others with equal claims. It's partiality. So let's look at the word partiality. Partiality is a favorable bias or prejudice. And these two words indicate a positive attitude, a favorable attitude towards someone or towards a group that gives them extra attention or maybe gives them extra perks. And when we hear those words, we tend to see it on a favorable side. But when we hear the word prejudice, we always seem to think of it as showing a negative attention. And two out of three of the dictionary definitions seem to agree with that. Let's look at them. Here's the first definition for prejudice, an unfavorable opinion or feeling formed beforehand or without knowledge, thought, or reason. The second definition listed is this, any preconceived opinion or feeling, either favorable or unfavorable. And the third one is this, unreasonable feelings, opinions, or attitudes, especially of a hostile nature regarding an ethnic, racial, social, or religious group. You see, in our minds, prejudice is usually an unfavorable view towards someone, but all of those stereotypes that we mentioned earlier are prejudice, and so are the other ones, the ones that we may not talk about in polite company, things that we believe about people of other races or people of other religions or the things that we think about people who struggle with different temptations than we do. All of those things, whether positive or negative, are prejudice. And it's when we have prejudice against someone or a group it's when we believe that they are beneath us, that they're less trustworthy or that they're more evil than us. It's when we start thinking thoughts about those people, that kind of people, them, or shaking our heads and backing away. But it's also when we give special treatment or readjust because we think that they're more important, more spiritual, or better than us. And James says, whether it's positive or negative, prejudice or favoritism isn't something that should be shown by Christ followers. He says, just don't do it. There is so much we could talk about here. There's so much in these verses. And I know we won't come close to covering this subject in one message. And I know that we have some growth groups who are doing a deeper study of the message each week. So this next list that I will only touch on uh, briefly today might be a good uh, starting point for your groups to spend some time with. But in these verses, James will tell, give us five things about prejudice. Let's go over them quickly. First, prejudice is a reflection of our faith. 
It's a reflection of our faith. Basically, he is saying as we grow in Christ, we should get past our biases no matter what area they exist in. Secondly, prejudice is based on faulty assumptions. We'll say more about this in a few minutes, but this should be obvious. But when we show positive favoritism, we're making good assumptions about the person. And when we show negative prejudice, we're making bad assumptions about the person. And either way, our assumptions tend to be faulty. Number three, prejudice is always sinful. It's always sinful. It's not just how you were raised. It's not just a result of bad experiences from your past. Verse 9 makes it clear that it is a sin against the heart of God. Number four, prejudice is spiritually dangerous. We'll talk more about this in a few minutes, but number five, prejudice can be overcome. This is the good news. It's the good news. You can get past your prejudice. You can overcome your suspicion of that person of color, or if you are a person of color, you can get past your suspicion towards white people. You can love those people who have a lifestyle that you aren't comfortable with. You can overcome your bias and you can begin to treat people the way Jesus treated them. So I want to spend the rest of our time uh, diving into the words that James wrote and I want to see what would need to happen if we're going to overcome prejudice. So first, to overcome prejudice, I must see people as Jesus sees them. I must see people as Jesus sees them. Look at the first four verses of chapter two. My brothers and sisters, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but you say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Now, James gives this let's suppose situation with a rich guy and a poor guy showing up at church. Now, picture yourself as the usher in James' story. A rich person and a poor person show up and they walk in your door at exactly the same time. And you know that the rich guy is rich because you watched the limo pull up in front of the church and you saw his chauffeur get out and open the door for him as he walked in. And you know that the poor guy is poor because even though he tried to hide it, you watched as he kind of hid his shopping cart around the corner of the church and you recognized the clothes he was wearing when he came in, his clothes that you donated to Salvation Army some time ago. So you know the rich guy's rich, you know the poor guy is poor and you're the usher and you need to seat them. How do you do that? Well, James says there has to be fairness in the situation. There should be no discrimination. And this was a big issue in Jesus' day. As a matter of fact, when James is writing about it, it's a fairly new issue that they're dealing with because you see, prior to Jesus, prior to the establishment of the church, rich people and poor people did not really associate with each other. They really didn't show up in the same places. In the Jewish culture, they were kind of separated. You see, in the Jewish culture, they believed that when, if you were rich, you had God's blessing. Does that sound familiar? There are still people who would teach that today, that if you're rich, that means 
God is honoring you, and if you're poor, that means God is punishing you. By the way, that is just completely false doctrine. That's completely false. But that's what would happen. And so suddenly, when Jesus comes and the church is established, suddenly rich people and poor people are attending church together. They're showing up at church in the same place and at the same time. And um, that it was kind of an interesting situation and they had to deal with it. And so James says, there has to be fairness in the situation. There should be no discrimination. And the solution for them and for us is to see people the way Jesus saw them. And I think we have a misunderstanding here too sometimes. You know, I think as we read the pages of Scripture, as we read about Jesus interacting with people, healing people, touching people, and meeting people, we assume that Jesus didn't deal with any really irritating people, that he never dealt with any really needy people or any really offensive people. I mean, when we think about some of those people Jesus healed, you know, that blind man that he healed, we kind of picture him as this uh, really old, uh, sweet grandpa type person, you know. And some of the other people we heal, we just, he healed, we just think that they were really probably really nice, normal people. But I don't think they were. I think many of the people that Jesus healed were probably more like some of the homeless people that we deal with. And I expect that they smelled. I think some of them used really bad language. And we already know that some of them weren't grateful for what Jesus had done for them even after they were healed. And we know that there were people that uh, he talked to that he knew believed the wrong things. There were people that he touched that behaved the wrong way. And there were even some people that he touched that were trying to trick him. But here's the difference between Jesus and me. As many times I see the offensive side of the person and that's asking me for help or I hear the lack of gratitude or I see the entitlement, and um, I never look beyond that to see the person underneath who Jesus loved. I hear people wanting to argue and debate why their sin is okay in their situation, and I explain my point of view, what I think the Scripture teaches, and then I get pulled into the debate without really ever seeing who they are in the eyes of Jesus. And sometimes people, I assume, really good things about and may show some preference towards end up disappointing me too. Look at what Jesus says next in James 2, 5 through 7. Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom that he promised to those who love him? But you have insulted the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are slandering the noble name of him to whom you belong? 
This is where we find Jesus, or James talking about, I'm sorry, James talking about faulty assumptions. He is saying, those that we assume the best about, those that we favor, quite often are the ones exploiting us and hurting us the most. And uh, those that we push aside may be the very ones that are going to help us or encourage us the most. And so the solution is that we should see people the way Jesus sees them. So how does he see us? Well, he sees us all the same. He sees us all as people of value, male or female, rich or poor, drunk or sober, single or married, Republican or Democrat, immigrant or citizen, gay or straight, old or young, rich or poor, red and yellow, black and white. They are precious in his sight. And it's interesting to me that the phrase, no difference, is used twice in the book of Romans. The first time it's used, it's a reference to our sinfulness. Look at what it says in Romans 3. The righteous, uh, this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the second time that the term no difference is used in Romans, it's used as a reference to God's forgiveness. Look at what it says in chapter 10. There, for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So in the eyes of Jesus, we are all the same. There's no difference. We're all people who have sinned and were all people who he loved enough to die in order to save us. Therefore, we are all valuable to him. So here's the lesson from this section. Prejudice is overcome by giving everyone equal value. Giving everyone equal value. The second thing James tells us is to overcome prejudice, I must love people as Jesus loves them. I must love people as Jesus loves them. Look at verses 8 through 11. If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Now, there is so much in these verses that we could talk about. Let me just point out a few things. Verse 8 calls loving your neighbor as yourself the royal law. It's kind of an interesting term that James uses there. It's the royal law. James is connecting the Old Testament law and Jesus' teaching because Jesus is the king, and so he calls it the royal law. He is saying loving others is important because God told you to do it in the Old Testament, and Jesus, our king, told us to do it while he was here on earth. But don't miss what it says in verse 9. He says that showing favoritism or prejudice is sin. And the reason that it's sin is because it's unloving. It's sin because it's unloving. Giving someone unfair favor or looking down on someone because of their status or race is a failure to love like Jesus loved. But there's something else in this whole passage that 
seems important. It seems to say this, when we fail to love like Jesus, we only have a partial faith. We have a partial faith. These verses talk about keeping the whole law and how if we stumble in just part, we've broken the whole. And when we're prejudiced, we're only living part of the faith. When Christians do church each week and show no compassion for people who are less fortunate, they fail to love like Jesus and they're living only partial faith. When we are judgmental towards the sin of other people, we do that because we think that our sin is less horrible than theirs is. And that attitude demonstrates that we're only living part of the faith. The Bible is clear. There aren't levels of sin. If we stumble in one area, we are a lawbreaker. And Christ followers who want to stay comfortable in their church and grow really deep spiritually, but don't do anything to help others who are far from God find forgiveness, are just living a partial faith. So my prejudice ends up cheating me out of part of what God wants for me. It ends up cheating me out of part of what God wants me to experience with him because I limit myself to partial faith. And, you know, sometimes people roll their eyes or question my motives, but the reason I encourage you to attend services regularly and get in a group and get involved in serving and being generous by giving is because I want you to have everything God wants for you. It isn't that I want something from you. It's I don't want you to miss out on part of what God wants for you. I want you to experience all of it, not just part of it. I don't want you to have a partial faith. But loving people like Jesus loves them, it's what... It, that is what's going to help me overcome prejudice. And this happens when I really learn to love people by getting into relationships with them, real relationships. It's easy to be harsh and critical towards people that you don't know. It's easy to be harsh and critical towards people you don't understand. It's hard to hate people that you're in a relationship with, even when they're doing things that you disagree with or uh, embracing views that you disagree with. It happened again this week. Someone sent an email asking me a question about what impact thinks about one of the hot button issues in our uh, society today. And, and I could have just sent a quick answer, but if I did that, the person wouldn't know our heart and I wouldn't understand the person, wouldn't know what they were doing and so I've invited the person to meet with me so that we can know each other, so that we can talk face to face, not to debate, but to understand. You see, our world is so divided today because we're trying to pigeonhole everybody with sound bites, based on just sound bites. And Jesus never shied away from the truth, but love and relationships always were the context for him sharing the truth with people. And we have to get better. We have to get better at showing love for people who we might disagree with or people that we might not understand because prejudice is overcome in real relationships. It's overcome in real relationships. 
And that means we have to work on building bridges with people who aren't like us. We need to make friendships with people of other cultures and races and economic levels so that we can build real relationships to overcome our prejudice. My grandson Joshua is five years old. He's going to start kindergarten. You might want to pray for his teacher, but he's five years old, and he has a friend named Ethan. His friend Ethan, uh, he goes to see him quite often at the convenience store where Ethan sits many days. Ethan might sleep there at night also, but Joshua gives him water sometimes and gives him food sometimes, and occasionally they give him money. And Joshua prays for Ethan, and he worries about him, and he talks about him as a friend, as a friend. Now, I'm sure you have probably given money to someone who was less fortunate, maybe on a street corner or somewhere. Did you ask them their name? Did you get to know them at all? Do, do you pray for them? You see, prejudice is overcome in relationships in relationships. Lastly, to overcome prejudice, I must judge people as I hope Jesus judges me. I must judge people as I hope Jesus judges me. Look at what James says in verses 12 and 13. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Now, you might know that these verses are incredibly similar to something that James' brother, Jesus, said. Here's what Jesus said. Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, these verses from the lips of Jesus seem to be a really big theme in our world today. Even people who haven't been to church in years quite often will quote what Jesus said there, judge not or you will be judged. And many people quote what Jesus said to indicate that we're not supposed to judge at all ever. They use Jesus' words of saying not to judge as a way of saying you can't call that a sin or you can't say that that person is wrong or many are basically saying if you call something a sin that the Bible says is a sin, you are judgmental and intolerant. Now, there's a couple of problems with that. Can, can we talk that through just a little bit? There's a couple of problems with that. The first being that to say to someone, you are judgmental, is a judgment. You are judging them. When I say that, I do what I'm saying Jesus said not to do when I tell someone to stop being judgmental. That's the first problem. The second problem with our current use of these words is Jesus wasn't saying not to judge. That's not what he was saying. In fact, three verses after, in three verses after uh, these, directly after these, Jesus says, judge the speck in someone else's eye only after you remove the log from your own. And then in verse six, so that's about four verses after he said not to judge, he says, that I need to judge whether someone is worthy of receiving what he called a sacred pearl, 
or whether they're a pig that will just trample it under their feet and then turn on me and attack me. Did you catch that? I'm supposed to judge whether they're worthy. And I'm supposed to judge whether they're a pig. And I'm supposed to judge whether they're safe. That's a lot of judging, isn't it, that Jesus told me to do just a few verses after he said, do not judge or you will be judged. You see, the point of Jesus's words is different than what we quite often make it out to be. The truth is we are supposed to judge. We're supposed to judge whether something is from God or not. We're supposed to judge whether we see the fruit of God's Spirit working in our lives and in the lives of others. We're supposed to judge many other things. So you see, the point of Jesus' words and James' words is not whether or not we judge, but how we judge. It's how we judge. Both warn that we will be judged in the same way that we judge others. There's the spiritual danger of prejudice. We will be judged in the same way that we judge others. If we show judgment without mercy, we will receive no mercy. Whatever measure we use with them will be used with us. So James says we should speak and act as those who are going to be judged. We should speak and act as those who are going to be judged. What does that mean? Well, that means that I should never look at some other person's failings without remembering I have failings too. It means I should treat their sin the way that I want my sin to be treated, that I should try to understand them in the way that I expect to be understood. James says any, any judgment that I need to make should come from this deep understanding that I'm going to be judged that I also am going to be judged. I will be judged for my sins. I will be judged by the way that I express the love of Jesus to others. And that means even if loving them like Jesus means that I have to tell them some hard truth, that I'd better do it in a way that still shows them love and the respect that Jesus would show them. The key is we should give others exactly what we want from Jesus. And you know what I want from Jesus? I want mercy. I don't want fairness. I don't want justice because I have sinned and I deserve eternal punishment and separation from God. I don't want justice. I want mercy. That's what I want for Jesus. I want him to look at me and say, wow, you messed up big time, but I've forgiven you and I will give you better than you deserve. And that's what the people around me should feel from me. That's what people should feel from us. They should feel uh, that we love them even when they mess up. They should understand that we know we're struggling just like they are to get life right. James tells us prejudice is overcome through merciful action. It's overcome through merciful action. And again, this means getting past the sound bites and the assumptions and getting to know the person, to see them and love them like Jesus would. It means that we should show them the same kindness that we hope Jesus will show to us when we arrive in heaven. And you know, I love that last line in verse 13. It says, mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgments. Here's what I think that's saying. When I show mercy to people around me, 
even though I won't be perfect and even though I will still stumble because of my preconceived notions, my prejudice from time to time, but when I really work on showing mercy, God sees me. He sees me trying to live for him and his mercy will triumph over his judgment. His mercy will triumph over his judgment. I can face him on judgment day knowing that I have sincerely attempted to live for him and to grow in him and to let him change me into the person that he wants me to be. And knowing I've worked to show mercy means I can expect mercy from him. And I think this principle is true in the lives of others also. I mean, maybe you have a friend that you've been trying to influence towards God. And I mean, you've invited them perhaps to come here to the landing with you and just hang out, or maybe you keep inviting them to church and your friend is really leery because they've been hurt in the past by judgmental, prejudiced Christians. And here's the principle. If you will love them like Jesus teaches you to, And if you will let his mercy flow out of your life to them, eventually they will see your mercy and they'll focus on that instead of the judgment that they've received in the past. And when that happens, mercy will triumph over judgment. Mercy will win. And developing a winning faith means we have to become more and more like Jesus. As we see people like Jesus sees them and love people as Jesus loves them and judge people as we hope Jesus will love us, it begins to happen. Something magical begins to happen. One person at a time, we begin to understand each other. And one person at a time, we begin to care about each other. And we give each other equal value. And we build real relationships. And we treat each other with merciful action. And my friends, when we do that, mercy triumphs over judgment. Let's pray.